Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. We are now in the uh, 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. We're slowly approaching Advent. So I want to apologize for the last, uh, I guess, one or two episodes. (laughs) Uh, I haven't been able to broadcast them. I've been overwhelmed with uh, work, um, staying a little longer, doing a little overtime at work, and uh, also at the same time making, uh, making the time to do the podcast has been uh, a little overwhelming. And so I wish to uh, apologize to you folks out there um, for this. It's, um, it's unfortunate. Uh, work life, uh, you know, daily going to doing your daily work and making time. It's even sometimes been a little difficult to even uh, struggle to make time for prayer. I was doing pretty good with the Liturgy of the Hours, and I got overwhelmed. And um, I think sometimes it's not so much our spiritual life or a relationship with God or prayer life that's the problem. It's the problem, I think, that maybe we overwhelm ourselves. We tend to overwhelm ourselves with this. Uh, You know, we maybe sometimes I think we want to be holy so badly that we think we got to do this particular kind of prayer when in reality God only asks um, just very little. And I think the most important thing is that we should use our formal prayer as a launch pad uh, for prayer, just simply talking to God, simply just talking to him. You know, formal prayer is fine. You know, all the stuff that we have, the formula, such as, you know, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and even reading scripture, they're all beautiful and they're all important. But I think one of the interesting things about prayer, uh, our prayer life is remembering that it's a launch pad for an actual one-on-one talk with God. You know, the rosary uh It's not just formal prayer, but you can use it for the moment to talk to him one-on-one. And I think that's very important. One-on-one talk, you know, talking to him, praying to him, having the moment to talk to him. Because Jesus said, close your door and pray to your heavenly father in secret, meaning in private, in in your heart, open your heart. And we tend to always, I think, because it's maybe because we feel scared, maybe because we don't know how to talk to him, talk to God. We don't know how to pray because we're afraid that we might say the wrong thing. And I, and I honestly believe that if you keep worrying about that, then you're not praying. And all this other stuff that even like the Our Father, which Jesus gave us, and it's a very important prayer, but it's, it's, it's a formula for personal one-on-one prayer. You just talking to him, you just opening your heart to him. 
which is what the Psalms is supposed to be, which is what the Psalms is meant to be, which is what the rosary, the rosary, you can use it first of all to start off, put yourself in the mystery, but then you need a moment to talk to, to God, to talk to him one-on-one. Either, you know, before the, the decade of the rosary or after the decade of the rosary. Or even just ask, talking to the Blessed Mother to help you love him, to help you talk to him. The saints are there as support. As support. There's no reason why we shouldn't talk to him. We shouldn't pray to him. We shouldn't put ourselves, because all the stuff like meditation is mainly focusing and, 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 putting yourself into that moment of the mystery, uh, put yourself a moment in, in that study. But then it's supposed to bring all of us to his presence and a contemplation uh, to gaze, to put yourself in the moment, the joy of being in the moment with God. We tend to, I think... Um, we tend to, unfortunately, I think, make it difficult for ourselves. You know, we, I think maybe a lot of times, because like I said, we, we're afraid we might be saying something stupid. We may afraid we might be doing it wrong and that you shouldn't be. You know, prayer, I think prayer is like any other way, like, you know, <laughs> you, when we sin, when we do something wrong, we tend to think that we made God very angry. And that may be true in one sense, but it's not meant to keep you away from him. Just like, you know, you anger a, a parent or you anger your, 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 your spouse, your, your husband, your wife, or <clears throat> your girlfriend you find it difficult to start a conversation again. Well, to start praying, it's almost like a baby learning first how to crawl. And then once the baby mastered crawl and crawling, right? The baby's first couple of years is basically exploring. So you're exploring, you're learning how to crawl first, and then you're learning how to explore your, your, your spiritual life. And then you're going to learn how to walk. And, and it's the same thing with your spiritual life, with your Christian life. It's all just learning how to do it first, right? And then figure out what works, what's meant for you, what God, how God wants you to pray. Right? You learn all the formulas. And then comes the point where you have to develop a relationship. It's like going, learning how to talk to a girl or a boy first on a date. It's that kind of relationship. It's an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship. 
And then until you finally, you finally have <clears throat> learned all these things and you have to relearn them again. You know, sometimes you have a setback, like we all have setbacks and maybe we stray away for a while and then we come back and we, you know, we have to familiarize ourselves with all those spiritual uh, tools. But you're not the same person. You are different. You've had a few bumps on the road. You've had uh, <clears throat> a, a, a sinful setbacks. And you got to learn how to start over again. In a sense, not like a baby, but just a reconversion, you could say it. Getting familiar with the landscape. It's the same, but new. It's old, but different because you're different. Not because it is different, but because you're different. And that's technically what the spiritual life, the Christian life is. It's a constant, constant re-familiarizing yourself <clears throat> with these things. And it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's the same, you know, it's, it's basically, that's the way it's going to be for us. It's going to be that way over and over again. And for me, it's, it's the same thing. I have to, um, I have to realize that how I'm praying may not be what God, how God wants me to pray. Or how I am doing things right now may not be how God wants me to do them. It's, um, it's, you know, you know, I keep asking all the time, what is your will for me? And I always, whenever I have setbacks, I realize I'm not loving him. I mean, I love him, but I'm not loving him the way he deserves to be loved. I am not, um... I'm not doing things the way he wants me. I'm trying to do things the way I want to do them. And it's not always working out. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's, you know, you know, the voice is, is each one of us are different. God speaks to me differently than he does to you. It's the same thing with all the saints. And you've got to stop concerning yourself. I'm not praying the way that person's praying. I'm not praying the way the saints pray, used to pray to him. That's not what he wants. He wants us. He focuses on you and me like we're the only ones in the world. Like we are, we're the only ones that exist. And technically to him it is true, but also it's true for every other saint. And that's how we have to realize this. All of us are individuals. And our relationship with him is on an individual basis. As well as is on a collective basis with every single saint. Remember how St. Peter, <clears throat> in the end of Gospel of John, when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And, you know, Peter had to face up to the fact that it's kind of like three times of denial. When he was told that 
he goes wherever he wants to go when he's young. But there'll come a time where he will be forced to go where he does not want to go. And he will stretch out his arms and he will die. And John, the author, says he was indicating by what glory he will, you know, by what death he will glorify God. So when he was walking with Jesus, Simon Peter looks behind and he sees the apostle, uh, the, I'm sorry, the disciple whom Jesus loves, that is John. And he says, Lord, what about him? And the Lord said to him, if I wish him to stay until I come, what is it to you? You serve me. In other words, don't be so concerned about the other, the other disciple. Don't be so concerned about where he fits in in the plan. What's important is that you fit in with me. You know, be concerned about your relationship with me. Don't be concerned about the other person's relationship with me. It's one-on-one. -on -one. That's how I understand it. This is how I understand what the gospel is saying, is saying to us. Now, it's not just personal, but I think you will find out other Christians like Scott Hahn and others will interpret it in a similar way. It's about your relationship with God, my relationship with God. And that's, that's what we should be concerned about. All right, so let's begin with the opening prayer. I spoke long enough at this opening here, but I had to get this off my chest. Okay, so let's begin. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me to the Lord our God. And may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kiri alision, kiri alision, kiri alision. Christe alision, Christe alision, Christe alision. Kiri alision, kiri alision, kiri alision. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and the glory of God the Father, Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. This part of the Gloria, I always love it. And I always feel very uh, painful sometimes when um, during the, I, I don't know, is it the season of Advent? I think we, we don't say it, I believe. It's, I think it's the season of Advent, I believe. I could be wrong, but it's a very painful time when you don't say it, you know, because it's so beautiful, this opening of the Gloria, the glory to God in the highest. It's beautiful. I find it very beautiful. And, and sometimes I find that, you know, 
on certain occasions when there's um, a certain beauty to it that brings tears to my eyes because in my mind I always picture the saints I always picture some glorious scene in heaven you know a certain high I guess you can say and it's beautiful it's beautiful the same thing like I really find the Nassim Creed beautiful and I don't know why um, certain pastors just want to settle for the Apostles' Creed because I say the Apostles' Creed every day when I when I pray the Rosary, you know. And it's not that I don't think it's beautiful; I think it's very beautiful. But I also think the Nestine Creed is beautiful because it it was born out of orthodoxy. And I I know, and I often think I think the problem is some of our pastors, and I know it's human. They, they sometimes, you know, they have, you know, maybe, maybe they just want the, want the mass to rush faster. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, it's a, it's a little sad. It's a little sad. I think a lot of them, I think, you know, they choose it for, you know, maybe impatience. I, you know, I hate to think that, but we all, we all have that, right? All right. So. Let's start with the first reading, okay? Um, it's from the book of Daniel, okay? And at the time, your people shall escape. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel, amen. In those days, I, Daniel, heard this word of the Lord. At that time, there shall rise Michael, the great prince, guardian of your people it shall be a time unsurpassed in distress since nations began until that time at that time your people shall escape everyone who's found written in the book many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some shall live forever others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace but the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever the word of the lord thanks be to god that's beautiful and mysterious one more time in those days i daniel heard this word of the lord heard this word of the lord at that time, there, sh there shall rise Michael, the great prince, guardian of your people. It shall be a time unsurpassed in distress, since nations began until that time. At that time, your people shall escape. Everyone who is found written in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace, but the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament, and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is being said here? Now, Daniel is a prophet, obviously, and he is an exile prophet. 
He was taken after the destruction of Jerusalem uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. He destroyed the temple and took the royal family captive. Um, he uh, took the king of Israel. Um, the king of Israel was... Uh, I forgot. Um, I think might have been you Jehoshaphat I can't remember the name sorry but he killed his two sons and he took out his eyes horrible he, it, this was during the days of the time of Jeremiah the prophet and um took him back to Neb to Babylon in disgrace and many of the people were forced into the 70 year exile. This particular uh, event was after all so much apostasy, so much horrendous behavior, so much moral degradation and um, national moral decline. The people, the country, the nation was split into two Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The north was, wasn't any better. In the days of, of Elijah the prophet, they fell into uh, apostasy, fell into paganism, fell into bell worship under Ahab and Jezebel. They just went into one spiral of moral decline, spiritual decline, sexual decline, national uh, uh, degradation and everything you could think of. And, you know, the bell worship, one of the sacraments of bell worship, sadly, every religion has some form of sacrament. Paganism has its own, was child sacrifice. And bell worship also uh, introduced the holy other, which was men dressed in drag, castrated, dressed as priestesses, wore wigs, and offered child sacrifices. It's sounds very familiar, right? Sounds like today. And we are going through something very similar. Okay, great distress. Um, now, Michael, the name Mikael in Hebrew means who is like unto God. It's a challenge and a question and an answer. Who is like unto God? Who can be like God? This was a, a challenge towards Lucifer, who did not want to serve, did not want to bend a knee, did not want to be humble. According to uh, the teachings of the rabbis, rabbinical tradition, uh, Lucifer was the most powerful of all the angels. Supposedly he had 12 wings, I think. <laughs> it's amazing. But angels are of higher intellect. They know right from wrong, very intellectually and clear and morally and spiritually. And the decision they were given at the time, the beginning of creation, was precise the fallen angels knew exactly what they were doing when they decided to go against god's wishes god's 
command, God's holy plan. And they chose to fall, which changed their spiritual state. I was, think I was, I heard something where they said that an angel only has to think where they want to be. And they're there with the, with the thought of a mind, with their mind. Anyway, um, it should be a time when unsuppressed distress since nations began until the, until that time. Is it talking about any particular time in history? One can say that this could be talking about any great national distress in any time in history of a people. When a people lose their faith, they lose that bond, that tradition, that bond, that sacred bond that holds them together. And we as a nation are not any different. We go into distress and we bring great calamity on us. We doubt our traditions. We doubt our customs. We doubt our, we doubt faith. We begin to sort of like eat our young as, as, as you see what we're doing. And we bring great evil upon us when we, we, you know, we, we, we know we're wrong collectively as a nation, we know we're wrong, but when we open the door to one evil, we open the door to many evil. It's the Pandora box, right? We, 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 we permit one evil. Therefore, the other evil will come through. Maybe we didn't even see it at the time. We thought it was only one evil. But it's many forms of evil. You know, it's, it's, you, 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 gotta, you gotta accept that. It's like, for someone who decides to try cocaine, it's only one sniff. It's only one shot. It's only one needle. But guess what? It's more than that. Because once you did it, you did it. David decided he wanted to invite this woman to his bed, King David. But the fact is, he opened the door to many evil. And he brought it, he brought down the whole house. He brought, he brought it down on the whole nation. It wasn't just adultery and a, and, a, and, a, and a pregnancy with another man's wife. It was, it was sending the man out to die. And that's it. That's it. It, it stained his image. It stained his, you know, his, his, um, his integrity, his authority. And this basically is, 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 what it's talking about here it should be a time of unsurpassed distress. And it goes on. Many of those who sleep. Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, since the nation began the time at that time, your people shall escape. Everyone who is found written in the book, everyone who's found is written in the book. Now this could be talking about the end of time. It could be also talking about um, a certain Remnant, you could say, was this, that was, that shall escape those who who uh, know that that 
the nation and the world basically has gone to uh, hell on a handbasket, I guess you can say. But it's those who are aware. There's always a group, there's always a remnant that are aware. Aware of what's happening. There are those of us who pray for the nation. We, we have to pray. There are those of us who have to fast. I mean, I think we should really consider Advent this year more seriously. I mean, Advent is a mini Lent. But we have to start practicing. We have to start practicing our faith, taking our faith seriously. Not just for us. Not just because it, 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 when we pray, it shouldn't be just for us. It should be for our neighbor. It should be for our family. It should be for our, our, our parish. It should be for our, our, our Pope. Yes, we should pray for the Pope. As difficult as it is, God has given us a very difficult man to like. But this, this could be the same for, for us. A lot of people may find us difficult to like. You know, even our fellow Catholics in our home, uh, in our town, you know, may find us difficult. Our family members may find us difficult to like. Our co-workers will find us difficult to like. We don't, maybe we don't, we don't intend it, but we do. You know, we, we are, in a sense, we find, we make it uncomfortable for other people. Especially when it comes to our faith. Other people, we find them difficult to like in many different ways. Personality and everything. People may find us the same way. They look at us the same way. Some people will look at us because we're, we're religious and we pray. They may see us read our Bible. And they think we're being self-righteous and we think they think we're better than them. And that's true. A lot of people tend to think that about Christians. Maybe we find it hard to believe, but it's true. And maybe in some cases we have to remember to be a little bit more humble. You know, a little bit more humble. And even when they say they, they, they commit a mortal sin or a blasphemous sin, like taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, pray for them. Offer it up on their behalf. Pray that their, their conversion. That's what I got no choice but to do that. I got to deal with a lot of difficult people on my job. I got to deal with difficult neighbors. And sometimes, you know, once in a while, God throws it in my face that, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, he reminds me, you know, he reminds me that I'm, you know, I got to be more humble and I, and I got to, I got to be aware of my imperfections going on. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be an everlasting horror and disgrace. This is a difficult one. And I think it's one we got to be very careful not to, um, to read it. It's very ambiguous. All right. I mean, the last part it says here at that time your people shall escape and everyone who's found written in the book which book the book of life eternal life or the book of eternal judgment 
it's you know it's 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 only one single book it mentions here but the part here about sleep in the dust um the, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some shall live forever those who are asleep in the dust of the earth those of us who maybe it's talking about people long in the past obviously the dust of the earth is it talking about people who are not spiritually awake it could be that too and it says some people will shall shall uh, shall live forever some shall live forever it says some doesn't say many and this is something to meditate on it should it should not make us we should not go so deep into it that we want to read too much into it this passage here should make us humble and should make us realize wow i may not be one of those people who will live forever i may be one of those who will who will not live forever obviously it's it's a, it, it's a very scary passage but going on from there others shall be an everlasting horror and disgrace obviously those who will find themselves into judgment it's very careful it's not it's not a broad stroke it's not a precise stroke it's just telling us be careful it should make us be a little bit more humble about our spiritual about our spiritual journey we should be aware more of our sins but the wise shall shine brightly this is this is this is a part here that should make us think am i one of the wise like the splendor of the firmament the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever well i don't think i feel like much of a star forever i think a lot of us when we go through the usual daily challenges of life and we find ourselves uh committing mortal sin and not living up to it, failing to say our prayer, uh, uh, failing to not be, not walking out like a hypocrite is difficult. Passages like this can be, are challenging. It should just make us think. Let me read it one more time and we'll move on. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. In those days, I, Daniel, heard the word of the Lord. At that time, there shall rise Michael, the great prince, guardian of your people. It shall be a time unsurpassed in distress, since nations began until that time. At that time, your people shall escape, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be an everlasting horror and disgrace. But the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament. And those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passages like this should just make us question and think to ourselves. Where am I in this? Can I be one of those who shall, shall live forever? Or shall I be like those who will be in an everlasting horror and distress? It's to make, it's just, it just should make us question a little bit. It should make us be humble and think and wonder 
which one which one of those am i let's move on now the next one here the psalm is psalm 16 and the response is you are my inheritance lord O Lord, my allotted portion and my cup, you it is who holds fast my lot. I set the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too abides in confidence because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your faithful to undergo corruption. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You will show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delights at your right hand forever. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Okay, one more time. Psalm 16. The response is, You are my inheritance, O Lord. O Lord, my allotted portion and my cup. You it is who hold fast my lot. I set the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too abides in confidence because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld nor shall you suffer your faithful one to undergo corruption. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You shall show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delights at your right hand forever. You are my inheritance, O Lord. It's a very beautiful psalm. In the first one here, you are my allotted, you are my allotted portion and my cup. You it is who hold hold fast my lot. I, and on it says, I set the Lord bef ever before me, at my right hand. I, with Him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. God is the cup, the chalice is obviously pointing to, for us as Christians, the sacrament. To drink from God's cup, to drink from the cup of the King, from your divine God, is the most wonderful and most beautiful thing. All right? And always to keep God before you, to keep God in front of you, to be means to be ever-focused, to meditate and to keep him always before you, not to let anything distract God from your, from your goal. God is the goal. To be with him is the goal. With him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. Let nothing scare you. Let no doubts. The right hand is the, the side of truth. I, my mother the other day looked up in the uh, dictionary and she and she wanted to know what does it mean always when people keep referring to the left. She knows what the left hand is, but what does it mean the left? And the, the left hand in the classical term, the left side, is 
is the wrong side. It's the deviant side. It's considered the side of treachery. It's considered the side of wrong, of evil. And, you know, we, we kind of lost that in our modern thinking because we don't, we don't keep these classical thinking. Uh, we, 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 we interpreted the left side to be the liberal. But it's also referred to as the side that is against um, conservatism. It's against truth. It doesn't believe in truth. You can look it up. Most dictionaries, if you look up a really good dictionary, you'll see that in, you'll see that that conservative interpretation. Nowadays, of course, it's just interpreted as liberal. But the classical interpretation is more, you know, sinister. It's considered sinister in in, in even in classical thinking. Um, <clears throat> therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too. Uh, abides in confidence. My heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too abides in confidence because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your faithful one to undergo corruption. This is pointing to uh, our Lord in the tomb. This is also pointing to the future resurrection of the dead. Okay, so it it, it obviously... Our confidence that we will rise from the dead, our confidence that Christ in God, Jesus Christ, is going to raise us from the dead. Okay, uh, we will not see corruption. Uh, this actually has been fulfilled in many different ways. I don't know if you ever heard the term incorruptible. Um, there are some saints who, like Saint Bernadette of Lourdes, of Subaru. Uh, to this day, her appearance has not corrupted. There are several saints, like Padre Pio, who has not, and even um, there's uh, some a young man just recently been canonized who's not been corrupted. Uh, Akulo, uh, I think he's, um, uh, I can pronounce his name wrong, so I'm sorry. He's just been canonized, or is about to be canonized. And he is a young man who actually was very devoted to the Eucharist and very devoted to, um, he actually put something in the internet, everything about the, the Blessed Sacrament, miracles of the Blessed Sacrament. And I've seen images of him and he's incorruptible. It happens to several people, even among the Orthodox, I think among the Coptic, and I think among the Catholic Church, the incorruptibles. It's a fascinating, fascinating uh, uh, phenomena that only happens in, in the uh, Catholic Church. Uh, you, you shall show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delight, the delight at your right hand forever. Our goal and our joy is God. We're supposed to be with him and only him. And we should not let anything take any confidence from us. You know, take away our confidence in God. Our confidence is in the Lord and only him. Okay, so let's move on to the second reading. All right, second reading. Okay, the actually, I'm sorry. The first uh, reading, which is from the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel is Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And again, we went through Psalm 16. 
And now uh, the second reading is from the from the letter to the Hebrews, St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews, I believe it's him, uh, chapter 10, verse 11, 14 to 18. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One more time. Every priest, every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that could never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the book of he or the letter of the Hebrews, I it doesn't make a difference. Book of Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews. It's one of the most phenomenal mystical theological um on Christian on the Christian faith, Christian theology. It just I mean it's it's, it's the greatest. I mean it it has everything in it. Everything in it that it it lifts your mind to unbelievable possibilities. And I think every every Christian Catholic Orthodox, Protestant, whatever denomination, as long as it's an Orthodox Christian denomination, Pentecostal, Evangelical, born again, um, Baptist, everyone should learn it and understand the theology that's in there. Now, every priest that stands daily at his ministry offers frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. He's talking about the old covenant, the old, uh, the priesthood of Aaron, the Levites priesthood. Every priest offered in the old covenant a daily blood sacrifice. This daily blood sacrifice was to pay for the sins of Israel and the whole world. This is something people have to understand. It was centered on fixing, on paying daily the sins. It was temporary. It's not perfect because number one, this was the animal sacrifice, the daily sacrifice of lambs and bulls and goats. And while the world waited for the true atonement, the true sacrifice, which was the Lord Jesus, 
the animal sacrifices was put into place to pay for those sins. It was temporary, never meant to be permanent. Everything was temporary. It was pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, because it's animal sacrifices, no animal can pay for the sacrifice of man. It could only temporarily cover it as long as the intention was understood by the individual. That individual, you and me, if we went to the temple with a a goat or a lamb or a bull, um, we, we, we have to be sincerely asking for forgiveness of sins. The problem was that a lot of uh, people put their faith in the animal sacrifice and not in the atonement that is to come. They had no idea how it was going to be done. And the problem was it became a, uh, a fixed ritual formula system. It was something that they were used to. The priesthood became politicized under uh, the the high priesthood of uh, Caiaphas and Annas. And um, with the Roman Empire in place, the Romans would decide who gets the, the garments of the high priesthood, the office of the high priesthood, and who doesn't. And so it became a competing fight to keep that 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 office, you know, that position, that particular dynasty, because you're not just high priest, you're practically almost, in a sense, uh, ruler of the country. And to some extent, you can influence the politics of the country. Of course, remember, the Herods also played a role who decided. It was constant competing of power. Who decides who occupies the office of high priesthood? If Herod, who has the ear of Caesar, can decide that Caiaphas no longer is fit to hold that role, then what happens is it can be, uh, you know, uh, difficult. I mean, a man's fall from grace politically and uh, ecclesiastically, like Caiaphas or Annas, is pretty detrimental for them. So they had to do everything they can to satisfy the Romans and to satisfy the political parties. But what happened with the faith of the people? It became sidelined. It became a business. Suddenly, you know, you have to pay for your animal sacrifices. The one you bring is blemished. It ha- it's not uh, a pure uh, sacrifice. And suddenly it became a big business, as we saw when our Lord turned the, the money changer tables. And the faith of the people became sort of trivialized, sidelined, tragically. It became shallow. They no longer knew their faith. They no longer knew of the atonement that is to come, the true atonement, which is in the Son of God. So... Here, it's only temporary. Um, Frequently the same sacrifice that can never take away sins because an animal cannot pay your price of sin. The animal is a type figure. The lamb 
of the type figure of he who is to come, which is Jesus. The lamb was a type picture, picture of the lamb of God. And the bull is a type figure of the priesthood. So, but this one, meaning Jesus, I wish they would have capitalized one, offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. So you see, Jesus' sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice. The only thing is people have to know him. We have to know him and we have to put our faith in him. We have to realize that he loves us and he knows us personally. And we have to know him personally. He is, is the true sacrifice, the one and true sacrifice. A bull and a lamb. We're not bulls. We're not lambs. We're not goats. We're human beings. And the man who caused the fall of sin, the first Adam, was a man made in the image and likeness of God. We were st that image and likeness still belonged to God, but now it's marred. It was marred by sin, and so therefore, another a true Adam, which is really what Jesus is. He is the true and only Adam. The first one is really a type figure of him, and lost that image. The image now was returned, was reclaimed by Jesus Christ. And so therefore, now he came and he took, and he is our savior. He took away the sins and he offered himself on the altar of the cross, which was a type figure of the tree. And he took our sins upon himself. He paid for our salvation. He opened the door to heaven. This is what the letter of Hebrews is saying. <clears throat> and then he took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. Where there is forgiveness of these, meaning us, those who are who put our faith in him, there is no longer offering for sin. That's it, it's over. He took his seat as the son of man in the book of Daniel. He took his seat at the right hand. One who came and stood before the one who is on the throne. And he was given power and authority over kingdoms and dominions. And he took his seat by the right hand of him on the throne. God took his place with God. There. This is what, this is, what is being said here. And now... He made it possible for every human being on the planet to receive forgiveness of sins. If only we would open our hearts and minds to him. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And <clears throat> once you, gotta, you read the Bible every single day, you get familiar with the language, you get familiar with, with, with everything it's just fantastic. It's beautiful because that's the problem with a lot of people. They don't really learn why Christians are supposed to believe what they believe. Make yourself familiar with the language of scripture. Make yourself familiar with the language of the Bible. Be familiar with the catechism. Catholic terms, Catholic terminology, theological terminology. You don't have to be a, a scholar. 
You don't have to be a scholar. You know, you could have more than one translation to make yourself familiar with it. It's, it's, it's possible, and it should be done. It's a beautiful thing. So, now let's move on to the next one. Okay, so now we are going to the um, Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13, verse 24, 32. Uh, the Alleluia Antiphon is from Luke, chapter 21, verse 36. Alleluia, Alleluia. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. Alleluia, Alleluia. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. Alleluia, Alleluia. He will gather his elect from the four winds. Again, once a minute, uh, once again, it's St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 24 to 32. Jesus said to his disciples, in those days, after that tribulation, that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and sprout leaves, you know that summer isn't here. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Amen, I say to you. This generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, one more time. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches become tender and sprout leaves you know that summer is near in the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I added... Uh, what it should have said, but of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I put in Son of Man. That was only out of habit. Okay, so it's not in the in the Mark text, but only, you know, you know, only I said that. So sorry about that. So you know that Advent is practically here. 
because now we're starting to notice the um, literature is slowly evolving towards final days and judgment. You know, um, it kind of matches because when you look at the leaves falling, it gets darker now, much, you know, much earlier. The nights are longer. The days are shorter. It's kind of dreary, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's, you know, pretty much, you know, it's this time of the year in in the past. Some people don't make it through winter. Some people, you know, the winters can, in, in times past, and still is, it can be, depending on where you are, can be pretty harsh. I have a friend who's uh, spending time in... Uh, Titsky, uh, somewhere in uh, the Arctic of Russia, and it's um, it's pretty, you know, isolated place. I guess you know from the photographs she's sending me, it's very cold. But there's a lot. There's a there's still a lot of like secrets and beauty and treasure held in those places they've dug up bones of woolly mammoths there's uh, artifacts from the ice age and prehistoric times there's a beautiful church there and it's a it's a world on onto itself and you know i'm guessing they have what they call the midnight sun in those places you know where it looks like, you know, because they're on the tip of that t part of the world, just like in parts of Alaska, pretty much close to the Arctic crown of the world. It may look like it's never, it's never night or it's forever day, I guess. And I guess you have to really be in a different state of mind to live through that. Some people can get pretty depressed and it's pretty, like I said, it's pretty isolated. And it, I'm guessing, you know, it can be very, you know, it can be psychologically very hard for people there. But people seem to make it their home. This text here, Jesus is talking about in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Now, it's it's obviously going to be the great tribulation of tribulation. We've heard all these things from the uh, from Protestant circles, Protestant literature, such as the Left Behind series and the Great Tribulation. Now, what does it mean by that? It's obviously when we say apocalyptic. The word itself means to unveil, to reveal, to, to, to unveil. It's a word used by Hellenistic Jews. <clears throat> and I'm guessing by, you know, it could, it's, it's a word that most likely has been used by uh, pagans as well in marriage ceremonies where the bride is unveiled. But in Judaism, there's a great beauty to it. Because the bride has theological representations. It obviously goes back to Adam and Eve during their marriage. 
where God revealed Adam's bride. She is the final crown of creation, the jewel in the crown. She represents a lot of hidden meaning, Eve. Now for Christians, this Eve is Mary. She she is, in in effect, the, the true model of a woman united with God. The first Eve came out of the first Adam, which the two became the fallen ones, the fallen from grace. But the second Eve gave birth to the new Adam, the true Adam. And so she now also replaces the first Eve as the true Eve. She also, Mary, represents the church, the bride of Christ, the body of believers, She was the first to receive the word of God, not just physically, but spiritually. And she is the first one to have communion with him, true communion with him in body, in her soul, in the very depth of her being. She represents all of us as we should all receive him in in communion. We receive him both in the bread, the sacrament of the bread and wine, and we receive him also in our souls. So, This is something that's very important to understand. Now, the tribulation in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and then the moon will not give its light. The two um, ornaments, the luminaries for night and day, suddenly there's no light, there's no night and there's no day. Okay, if the dark, if the sun is darkened, okay, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. In a sense, does that mean that humanity will lose all sense of right and wrong? All sense of what is true? Does it mean also that maybe creation itself will lose its will will, will lose any will lose its meaning? the sun to be darkened and the moon not to give its light. So we can't tell the difference between what is night, what is night and what is day. What is, what is revealed and what is hidden, what is true and what is not true. It's a lot of mystery there, a lot of hidden mystery to it, but it could mean it's also theological and spiritual for us because the truth will be taken from us meaning the truth will be hidden, the gospel will be hidden, the word of God will lose, will lose meaning, and people will turn away from it. Then it goes on, and then the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, there's some people who believe that the stars represent the bishops, because in the book of Revelation, we have the, the serpent, the dragon. His tail strikes a third of the stars of heaven, and they fall to earth. Some believe that our pastors, our bishops will will sort of be seduced by it because the 12 stars represent the 12 angels, but also represents the 12 bishops, that the bishops representing that the leaders of the church. And when the, when the serpent knocks them down, it could mean that he has seduced them, sort of like a backhand 
not even worth, not, it wasn't even much of a, of a fall for him. It wasn't even much of an effort for him to take them down because they themselves had been seduced by the ways of the world. And it says the powers in the heavens will be shaken because of their fall. This would, in I would say shaken, meaning maybe it refers to God's anger because we know that nothing can 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 strike God down, but it definitely the when sin multiplies, so does uh, affect nature. When we sin, we don't just affect ourselves and our families; it affects all of our society, and can also affect nature. It can affect the the environment around us, because the more we sin. There's sin, there's disease. We're going through a virus, a plague right now. We just went through one. We might go through another one. Who knows? There's a lot of things that can happen. Our society has fallen apart. There's revolution, revolt, people tearing down statues. They want institutions to be t- to be torn down. They want to defund the police. They're 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 train they're changing gender. They're polluting kids with transgenderism. There's all kinds of stuff like this constant obsession of, of race. And color. And then it goes on. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky. Suddenly the Son of Man will appear on the clouds of heaven. At the final moment when it looks like there's no hope. When people will think that everything that was preached was a lie. When it will look like completely like nothing, nothing good will come out of it. That maybe even the last few Christians that are left will find themselves shaken. Almost to the point like it looks hopeless. Okay, and then he goes on to say, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and sprouts out leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening now, know that he is near at the at the gates. Sometimes it's translated as door. Amen. I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, I've I, I've seen fig trees, and in and here in Brooklyn. There we have fig trees. Uh, some people have them. I don't think they ever really uh, reached full maturity because of the weather here. But over there in the Middle East, living with my grandparents, I, I there used to be a grove, a fig tree grove, where we used to go up there and pluck figs from them and take them home. And um, you can see that they're very wide, heavy, thick leaves. And if you squeeze them just right, you can see white sap coming out of them. Um, it's, you know, it, you know, there's definitely here something to learn from because the fig tree, like the olive tree, is supposed to represent Israel. But what if it represents the church? What if in some ways it represents the Christian church, the fig tree, because yeah, it definitely could represent Israel, but Israel is often represented by an olive tree. But what if it also, in a sense, this represents the tree because you have to bear fruit 
and a, a fig tree bears fruit. It's a sweet fruit. And remember in the gospel, he went up to a tree, but it wasn't fig season. It wasn't season of the figs because they weren't ripened yet. They weren't ready. And he cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree quickly, uh, before the end of the day or the next day, it withered and died. And what does he say next? Have faith in God. So if we do not bear fruit by that particular time of the season, what will happen to us? The church itself, what will happen to the church? Because it has to bear fruit. He's going to collect to bear fruit. Um, I mean, that's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to understand it. At least to this extent, I'm trying to stay within the confines because he uses it. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches become tender, sprout leaves, you know that summer is near, but doesn't say that it's bearing fruit. Technically, yes, it doesn't bear fruit to like the end because you don't see figs to near the end of the summer. Close to the beginning of fall, that's when usually figs appear sometimes. I mean, you know, over there, it, it it's it's has to be by a particular time of the year, it has to mature. It doesn't, it turns, it sprouts, and sometimes it turns purple by, by near the end. And, you know, they dry up the figs and it becomes dry figs. And, you know, you can, you know, put it in your cereal or you can eat it dry, put it in a salad. You could cook it. That's how they usually they do it. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. So why, why does he say that? Well, in this case, obviously the father is, is the authority. And if the father is not speaking, the son is not going to speak about it. But he could, could he be saying this in his humanity? Yes. But he could only be saying this in the context of history. Possibly. It's a mystery, but it doesn't mean that he's not God. He is definitely God. But in most cases, he's also a man and he's also representing humanity. He never ceases to be God, but he's truly human as well. So this is, this is, uh, I mean, this is something we can go over and over again, and you can read a lot of commentary and I'm not using any commentary here. I'm using what I, what I already, what I know already. And how, because there's a ways you can interpret this. And there's, trust me, there are better people who can interpret this than I could. But still, as a Catholic, and what I learned, what I read, and this is the thing, if you learn and you read, I didn't learn anything on my own. I learned only what others have spoken. And I listen to sometimes to Protestants and I listen sometimes to Orthodox Christians. And, you know, and I, you know, and I can definitely listen even to those who, uh, secular scholars who don't treat the New Testament with respect or any faith, you can still learn from them. Just take it with a grain of salt. But there's a lot to learn here and there's a lot we can continue. But it's, it's a beautiful text. It's a beautiful, something to meditate on. And we get to know Jesus in this. Here, I believe a lot of it has a lot to do with loss of faith and the challenges of faith, the trial of faith, because that's the most important thing here. The dragon uh, in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation, just simply the apocalypse, just simply sweeps his tail and the stars fall from heaven. It's often been interpreted 
that these represent the bishops, the leaders of the church, who have been seduced by the dragon, by the devil, by Satan, by Lucifer. And falling into the earth means a loss of faith. This is how it's been interpreted by others, by many theologians. Now, like I said, the sideline of the tale is not even with any respect. It's the end of his tale. It's like the back of your hand. And he may not even have to look at them. It wasn't even much of a fight if you think about it. I mean, what could be more worse than a fallen bishop, a fallen cleric? We've seen it. We've seen, we've seen the cover-ups. We've seen the sexual immorality. We've seen the, 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 uh, the, the financial corruption. We've seen the political corruption. It's, you know, I mean, it's terrible. And the dragon, what does the dragon represent? It could definitely, it definitely represents Lucifer. It definitely represents Satan. But it could also represent a system. It could represent a cult. It could represent um, the immorality. It could represent communism, if you want to call it that. It could represent anything. It's basically the dragon, but it can re it represent a lot of things. In the icon, when you see an Orthodox icon of St. George riding his horse, slaying, uh, piercing the dragon, the dragon definitely represents Satan. It represents the devil, definitely. But it represents, it represents the emperor who was persecuting Christians. Nero was called the beast. Domitian was called also the beast because, you know, he attacked. In the book of Revelation, the dragon, the, the dragon fell to earth and he began to persecute the woman who gave birth to the son who will rule the nations. And, he, and she flies into the desert and he goes after her. And he opens his mouth and a flood of water, a river of water came out of his mouth. To, to attack the woman. This could represent armies. It could represent all the forces of the world, all the peoples of the world, who to attack the church. The earth opened up in the rescue of the woman. What does that mean, the earth opened up? It could mean a nation's opened up to receive the gospel, to receive the church. It could represent that. It could represent, you know, the 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 God the God's um, uh, plan that the gospel should go out in the world because it opened up and it swallowed the flood. Now, that could mean that because water, flood, oceans represents the different nations of the earth. This flood coming out of the dragon's mouth means all the evil governments. Could mean It could mean all the evil governments who go after the church, who persecute the church, who tear it. Because we've had, we've had Christians, because it says when he saw he couldn't attack the woman, he made war on her offspring. So you see right there, right there, it, it, it answers the text for ourselves. It answers it for us. The God scripture ans uh, makes it an account for itself. This is what is happening. This is the, technically what is happening. There's a lot of symbolism here. And the symbolism is, you know, um, 
important metaphors. It doesn't necessarily have to mean this one interpretation. It could mean it could mean something in future interpretations. But for us today, this is what it means because we see it happening in front of us. Okay. Um, let's end it here because, um, you know, uh, can't continue forever. I would like to, but I could be repeating myself over and over again. I don't want to do that. Um, but once more, um, I'm going to try to get back into interpret, uh, reading news reports and everything. There's so much happening. It's hard to catch up with it, you know, uh, with the politics and everything like that, with, uh, what's happening with Pope Francis and, you know, this Biden administration that's going on with, oh my goodness, so many things, um, it's kind of sad, everything that's happening, but this is not, this is not, doesn't mean we lose our faith. You know, Pope Francis is Pope. Whether he's a good Pope or a bad Pope, that's, that's only history is going to tell. And the most important thing for us is to remain faithful to Christ and not lose our faith because of all the scandals and everything. The scandals are going to come. Jesus himself told us that. Jesus himself made, made, made that clear. It's going to happen. And it's expected when you have so many people around you, not everybody's going to be perfect. Not everybody's going to be faithful. I mean, he chose Judas. And look what happened. Not that he didn't know it was going to happen. God knew it was going to happen. But they all deserted him and left him. It's like the stars of heaven swept away. You see, it's right there. They all fell. They all fell out of faith, and they all deserted him, except for a few: Mary Magdalene, John, the disciple of a disciple, and his mother, our Blessed Lady, Mother Mary. And that's the one thing I have to say. I'm really happy that with the chosen, you hear a lot of Protestants using the term Mother Mary. It's nice. It's really, it's really, it's nice to see that. <clears throat> it's nice to see that. And, um, you know, there's nothing we can do. We can't do anything about Joe Biden receiving communion. We can't stop him. That's the, that's the bishop's job and the bishops alone. You know? They they know what they have to do. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, I'm gonna start with the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. And by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. 
I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. And this is for the uh, holy souls in purgatory. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And let's say uh, a Hail Mary for the Holy Father and for all the bishops and clergy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless, and I'll be back soon.